Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of yours, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. In the words of Brian Flagg, I have a problem with authority figures. And Mitch. In the words of Tom Penny, ribbed. <laughs> that was a good one, Mitch. <laughs> uh, Liam, do you actually have a problem with authority figures, or? I think so. Um, my dad was the main authority figure in my life. That's not true. He actually wasn't very authoritative, but I guess just in, in terms of concept, he was my dad and he wanted right. me to play guitar when I was a kid and I, I refused to play guitar. I didn't start playing guitar until I was 17, which was a terrible idea. I wish I started early, but I had a problem with authority figures and so I didn't do it. So I would say so. But now he's giving you a cool anecdote that you'll be able to tell whenever one of your uh musical projects is like big and famous and getting like a behind the inside the actor's studio <laughs> behind the inside the actor's studio equivalent um for music Liam was defiant from a young age <laughs> well i like that voice because it's almost more like a like a nature documentary yeah i'm just going for the attenborough vibe <laughs> uh and we can talk about how uh just despite your dad you you put any musical talent on hold out of spite just terrible yeah if i honestly you should you should be more trusting in authority figures because if i had been i would be much better at guitar by now so i say i say uh listen to authority figures and talk to the cops whenever they ask you any questions especially if the cops are suggesting that you like play guitar or get music (laughs) lessons or something then do that if you get arrested as a pickpocket because you got fast fingers and they say you should put that into finger picking on the good old fashioned guitar, uh, maybe give it a chance. Yeah, don't decide to just take the prison sentence out of spite. <laughs> don't plead guilty. You don't have to. There's a better way. Get a lawyer and that lawyer will tell you to just play guitar. Just get take two the lawyers. deal and play guitar. <laughs> like Johnny Cash in jail. He wasn't in there, but he was in there. You know what I mean? Aren't we all... There's a life lesson in here somewhere. If you listen hard enough, you'll find it. That's how most of our podcasts work, actually. If you listen close enough, you'll learn something valuable. And if you don't learn something valuable, it's your fault. That's absolutely right. I grew up watching Boy Meets World. You can bet that I'm lacing life lessons into every one of these episodes. You just gotta, you just gotta find it. Every episode of our show is a very special episode of They Made Another One. That's right. And this is especially so a very special episode of They Made Another One because, because Corey is addicted to drugs, Mitch yeah. is pregnant, yeah. and uh, Liam uh, stopped playing guitar. That's right. And we, we need have to, to talk get him about back it. in there. Yeah, I was going to say what was neat about this is it was a rare occurrence of um, any combination of us uh watching the movie together which doesn't happen a lot that's right yeah uh me and Corey watched this movie together um he came over to my house i had a blu-ray of it so it looked real nice we put it on a big tv we were sitting in nice chairs so um perhaps optimal viewing conditions i guess that depends on how you like to watch movies and how you think movies are best critically examined. I mean, maybe maybe the best thing to do is to isolate yourself with like a laptop and headphones, the screen as close as it can be to your face and not talk to anyone. But 
Corey and I, uh, we chatted a little bit during the movie, but we also, we were paying attention. I, and I think it, it made for an interesting viewing experience. Um, there was one microphone secretly hidden in the room, and if you pay us enough money, it's a secret amount. We won't tell you how much. We'll release the riff tracks, which is just us talking while the movie was on. They can put that on like the Super Blu-ray, whenever that format gets created. That's right. It's coming soon to our Patreon. Or o- OnlyFans. Yes, or um, yeah, <laughs> or that. <laughs> Not or places that you can buy our secret riff tracks, or um, you might best watch this movie from inside of a blob. If you can, I think so. <laughs> if you I, dare. I, I love watching <laughs> movies in circumstances that reflect that movie. Like, um, I got a Jello convention. That's like right, Jello convention dreams. for the blob. If you watch like the Blair Witch Project in the woods, if you watch Evil New Dead in Cabin, exactly. Yeah, I, lo- I love shit like that. So yes, watch uh, Cabin Fever two in a high school. Yeah, watch Cabin Fever two while you're drinking a bottle of water. Watch Alien in Outer Space. Riveting experiences. Do you think anyone's ever done that? Anyone uh, maybe, who's in maybe, space maybe has the ever fired Alien? Yeah, maybe. That'd be hilarious, firing that up at the International Space Station. Oh my gosh. Watch A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 as a closeted gay man. That's right. <laughs> really just getting the mind of the characters. Uh, because we're watching The Blob from 1988. There's a Look, there's a connection in there somewhere. Um, this is a remake of the 1958 film of the same name. 30 years later, they're like, we haven't blobbed it up in a while. It's fucking blobbing time. <laughs> That's what all the marketing said. It's a wonder that, you know, the marketing didn't work seeing as it uh, just said it's blobbing time. I would have gone to see that movie. Yeah, who wouldn't? Uh, who would not? So my first question off rip is uh, for either of you, whoever wants to get in there first, you have buzzers in your hand, so whoever buzzes in first can answer first. That's not true, but could you fucking imagine? That would be sick. Uh, uh, do either of you have a history with The Blob, the original? Uh, not not much. I mean, I've seen it. Okay. Did, do you, you like it much? Uh, no, I kind of think of it more as The Blah. It's, uh... Damn. <laughs> It's um, sort of like chintzily made. It's like not that. It's very, very um hokey, and like it's a lot of people just talking in rooms. I was talking to Cameron about it earlier because like we were both trying to remember what we could recall from seeing it because it had been so many years. Um, I think it's even like forgettable that like Steve McQueen's in that movie. I didn't even it, know he was. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't really like it, and I like fifties camp, like Forbidden Planet, or um, you know, like the original Fly, the Fly, or House of Wax from the fifties. All those kind of camp movies, uh, the thing. But uh, this one has not a lot going for it, so I don't particularly like it. But it's a cult classic for a reason. What's that reason? Because it's shit. Because it's got a big blob in it? <laughs> yeah, because like, it's got a big blob in it, and it's, like, old, and, yeah. What more yeah, reason do yeah. you need? People People will make cult followings out of fucking anything. Yeah, honestly. Our, I bet anything. our podcast has a cult following. It does. What are you guys doing? Fucking dumbass. Why would you do that? 
Maybe there's not even mean. a blob in this podcast. There's not even there a single now, fucking though. blob in this podcast. I can't even sleep correctly. You want to put your faith in the person that makes this podcast? I don't even know how to do that. The Nightmare on Elm Street episode really got to Corey. He's been having bad dreams. Lately. Yeah, that's some that's some IRL lore. Now to get some more IRL lore from Liam, uh, do you like the blob? Um, I do like the blob. I said this at the end of the last episode, so I'll say it here. But but I just mean the this one that we're going to be talking about. I have not seen <laughs> the fifties one. Um, I don't have. But, but you a whole like lot of... the one that we're talking about today. You have seen it before. Oh yeah, I, I, I certainly I liked it before we watched it for this episode um at least i'll save my updated thoughts i suppose a nice little teaser but but i did like it that's why i picked it um i just haven't watched a whole lot of like 50s 60s movies um so i just i haven't gone back and and seen it you know even though i like this one it was the same thing with our house of wax review you know I, i like that modern house of wax movie but i haven't gone back it would really take a lot to make me go back to one of those things um but I like the idea of the blob. I like these movies that are the something. And of course, there were a lot of those in the 50s, but there are also the, the stuff. I the love thing. the stuff. Yeah. If, if you go into the 80s, I, I love those movies. I haven't thud really in the 50s, but I love the stuff. I like the 80s thing. I like um, the mist the fly, from 2007. I love the fly. The fog. Yeah, so those are all great. So uh, the blob, the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> I, I checked out the blob probably like five years ago or so, and I don't remember why. Um, I think I just thought the poster was cool, and and so I, I fired it on like a bootleg movie watching site. Um, the poster, somebody being blobbed. Yeah, it's a really cool poster. Um, it's really evocative. I was interested as to how they would handle the effects because I knew the concept of the blob just because it's like, you know, parodied in, in all these sorts of movies and even like children's TV. Like I think SpongeBob has a blob type episode. So I'm down for that. Um, I really like 80s movies. Um, so I, I fired it. I really liked it. Um, but I have not checked it out again in five years i liked it enough to get the blu-ray once i started collecting blu-rays recently but i had not opened it it wasn't until Corey came over the other day that i cracked it vacuum sealed and and we watched the blob um for the second time for me so i was excited to revisit it because five years is, is quite a long time i mean i've seen hundreds of movies in the last five years so um I was interested. In fact, Corey and I w- double featured this. I'll say this now, Corey. Yeah, um, yeah, we can talk about this now. We also watched another '80s movie, a sort of sci-fi movie that that has a whole lot of parallels to the Blob that you only realize when you watch them back to back. The movie is called Night of the Comet, um, and that's another movie that I saw one time about five years ago and really liked it, and. Um, over the last five years, I've thought about it. I've been like, man, that movie is awesome. So when I started collecting Blu-rays, again, I think I, I got it before the blob even. I got Night of the Comet. Um, and Corey was interested in it because of the poster. And he also had heard me talk about it on a podcast I used to do um, that I recorded about five years ago. And he thought the movie sounded cool from there. So I was really excited to show him Night of the Comet and... I didn't like it all that much. I mean, Corey and I both agreed that there's cool stuff in it, really cool stuff, but 
in a total package, I, it's kind of underwhelming. And it turned out that um, if I didn't l- like the parts that I used to like less, maybe that's the case. Maybe it isn't. But either way, um, in the last five years, the stuff that I didn't like just faded from my memory. And I remembered the movie just a as the cool parts but it turns out there's a whole lot of really like plodding boring unnecessary um scattered parts in it and yeah it, it didn't actually hit all that hard and so when we then went to turn on the blob i was kind of thinking man did i also remember this movie incorrectly or have i grown from this movie as well so i wasn't sure where i was gonna land because i would have said that i like night of the comet and the blob pretty much equally i think and uh i wasn't sure how that was going to pan out yeah and for a quick night of the comet addendum the thing that i will say is that little did we know there was much reason to double feature those movies even if uh, we don't think night of the comets like the greatest movie ever made uh if you want to watch the blob along with us and are like huh i would love to watch a second movie with that maybe before the blob i think you should watch night of the comet beforehand because there's there's cool visuals in it it's got its moments but it's gonna tee you up for the blob uh in a way that isn't like too high a a level to potentially reach you know what i mean yeah it's gonna be like a a a tone setter it's a tone setter but it's also not going to tire you on the monster movie thing like a more I think a more um, obvious double feature would be something like the movies we we already mentioned, like something like The Stuff and The Blob or like Killer Clowns from Outer Space and The Blob. That would be really fun, too. But still, Night of the Comet and The Blob are different enough movies. They're not both like sci-fi monster town invasion movies. Um, Night of the Comet is about a comet that passes over L.A. and turns some people into zombies and the rest of the people most people go 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 missing yeah and so you've just got like these two uh teen girls and um this one motor or trucker guy um and they're just hanging out and then they start to see zombie people but it's not even a zombie movie it's it's mostly just a hanging out movie um with sci-fi elements it has that whole idea of like uh corporations trying to control us which um the blob also touches on they both have old-timey movie theater settings um they both have a whole lot of 80s fashion um just a, a whole lot of little things that that just make them very complimentary experiences yeah, and if you don't know what the blob is about, what the vibe of the blob is, um a the gist of it um is that there is a meteor that crashes near a town and an old man finds it and it's got some kind of I don't know, blobby kind of gooey, slimy, sticky, g- gunky, uh chunky, not really, it's more of a smooth uh blob-like substance inside of it that um is causing some problems for this old man uh it's maiming him it seems and we've got some your classic uh, at odds high schoolers stumble across it and um that man starts like melting to death uh on account of the blob and we learn very quickly that the blob 
is just sort of gonna eat everything in its path uh it's some sort of sentient nightmare monster it is uh, oh and it like absorbs them too the blob doesn't have jaws it just is all blob yeah it's hard to overstate the degree to which this is just a blob of like flesh goo and it looks gross um and so in particular we have uh brian and meg brian is like uh your prototypical like Stephen King bully archetype. <laughs> He's got a mullet and a leather jacket and a motorcycle, and he doesn't give a fuck about your rules, old man. Um, and you've got uh Meg and Paul, who are like you know the cheerleader football quarterback couple. Very like again because it's a fifties remake, of course, but like very fifty sensibility to this until Paul shortly gets blobbed. And uh, the tone of the proceedings changes very quickly. Someone who you think may have been your protagonist is kind of unceremoniously blobbed. And um, Meg and Brian have to sort of reluctantly team up to try to figure out what's happening and stop this blob before we realize that some sort of secret branch of the U.S. government or military is involved. uh, And they actually created the blob as a biological war experiment that they launched into space because it was so dangerous it shouldn't be on earth what's very funny about that is how did you launch it in a way that it immediately came back like a fucking boomerang i would love to know the answer to that particular question but um then it becomes a conflict not just between like brian meg and the blob but brian meg and the the suits of the u.s government um in trying to get this destroyed they want to keep it some piece of it um to use in the in the cold war it's heating up brother yeehaw and so then the movie sort of takes things from there but it really is just kind of like a a very breakneck paced oh fuck there's a big blob here kind of experience there's the title um you get what what you see on the can there it is it is it is it is the blob (laughs) pieces it's exactly what it said what you think it is that's right yeah i bet you the only reason the blob didn't use that tagline is because it was taken already because pieces had already used it i've never seen pieces the one thing i know about the movie is that its tagline is like it's exactly what you think it is which is so funny oh dude pieces is amazing you guys would love it (laughs) both of you would love it um there's some pretty cool cast and crew stuff going on here so indulge me somewhat uh the movie's directed by chuck russell ties back into what we were talking about last week director of nightmare on elm street three dream warriors maybe i should talk to chuck because i keep falling asleep someone help me frederick are you in there get the fuck out of my dreams man i don't want to get dream blob no thank (laughs) you (laughs) uh he also directed the mask which definitely has some like some some blah blob energy mm, another good the movie another good the, the movie another good the movie the scorpion king which he also directed. honestly maybe the peak of the the movies did peak he do the... another the movie after that i bet he didn't um i don't think so <laughs> i, I guess i get yeah i mean because he... after you've done the scorpion king what else can you do uh uh well it it appears well in other film roles that aren't director, yes. That doesn't count. But what did he do? Um, he 
there is an announced movie called The Seven Sins: Dawn of the Tyrant that he has a writing credit on. Apparently, <laughs> okay, um, that's that's yeah, that's too many words that don't count as of that movie. He's also got producer credits. Well, no, these would be before this though, because you know you gotta keep up on the Great American Girl Robbery, <laughs> yeah. the hearse, and the seduction. The okay. hearse is pretty good. The hearse is a good the movie. I'll Actually, I'm going to die on the hill of the Great American Girl Robbery is also pretty good. That's pretty good. It's a bit, a bit wordy. <laughs> it's only five words. Uh, yeah, that, that's it, too many to count as a the movie. Yo, y- did you guys know that... Um, I don't know why I said did you guys know as if there's any way you could know this. I'll tell you guys. So now <laughs> you will know. Did you guys know? I, no, you didn't. Maybe I do know. When I was like in the tenth grade, I decided I knew, I I knew would, you went to high school. I fucking knew that. I, <laughs> I knew you were in the tenth grade. I um decided to alphabetize all of my family's VHS tapes. We had, we had a lot of VHS tapes, you know, like a lot of Disney movies. Leave It to Beaver was on there, um, and for some silly, silly reason, I thought that it would be more proper to count all the thes in the alphabetizing. And so I put them all together with, you know, they would go and tease the, um, and then so on. And so whenever I would look for a movie to watch on VHS tape for the next, like, year, um, I did this with the DVDs too, I would be totally lost because I would forget that a movie was called, you know, The Fox and the Hound. I would be looking for it in F, couldn't find it anywhere. That's Um, classic. A terrible idea, the the things, but... Sometimes thes are very important. Like I, I would consider putting the blob on my movie shelf even now in the T's instead of the B's because the the is very important. But Fox well, and I, the Hound, I see the you, distinction. You know, that no, like, like think of a movie yeah. like like Sorcerer. If it's called the Sorcerer, that's like what that's the an f- S. That's so bad. That, that's an S movie. It's also just like a shit title for it. But calling it Sorcerer, right? But if cool this movie shit. were just called Blob, that's bad. But if you call it the blob, like conceptually in your mind, you're like, ah, yes, T for the blob. But you would mm-hmm. be like, ah, yes, S for sorcerer, even if it was called sorcerer. It's like, you know how people will call the band Talking Heads the Talking Heads, but there's no the? Yeah, I do that all the time. It's just like that. Yeah. It's like you would. Well, unfortunately, that also starts with T, so it undermines my point. But it's like you would put it <laughs> under T for Talking Heads. But not T for the Talking Heads because there's no the. Yeah, but no, you would I, still call it the Talking Heads. Do you see what I'm saying? I I know I totally get what, what you saying? mean. I totally get what you mean. It's a uh, categorizing movies by alphabet. It's actually a lot harder than you would think. So you really have to categorize the the movies by feel. Like for example, yeah. where do we put the Scorpion King? I think that would go in S, S because you yes. could call that movie Scorpion King and you're fine. Whereas if I'm talking about the mask, I think it's more of a debate. Yeah, I would I would consider putting that in T, the. especially more because than one mask in real life. But this is the mask. That's right, and there's also a movie already called Mask. I don't want the mask right next to it. I want it to be with my the blobs, the flies. Uh, the Mist, because those are all such strong The movies. In much the same way that, you know, the Great American Girl Robbery goes under G because that shit's great. That's right. Yeah, you do put it <laughs> under G because, again, 
the the is is uh is in the seven sins dawn of the tyrant you don't buy because the title is too long that's right so that's the director how about everybody else i hear you clamoring from the rooftops in some sort of savage rage i'll tell you um chuck russell also wrote the movie alongside the the king of kings not jesus christ frank darabont he Frank also worked on, is the leader of my religion. It's you know what the argument could be had. I would if I was categorizing directors alphabetically, I would put him under K for King, even though his name is Frank Darabont. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Um, he uh, worked on Nightmare on Elm Street three as well. You know, Dream Warriors, also um, the Shawshank Redemption, kind of a big deal. Uh, the Green Mile, The Mist, as mentioned, The Fly two. And The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Is that a TV show or is that a movie? It is a TV show. Mm. There's going to be a couple more junior and or young versions of characters coming up in this cast and crew. I think that's kind of fun. The the Blob Babies. (laughs) It was a sequel to The Muppet Babies. The Blah. (laughs) Contagion Uh, Junior. That joke was just as great the second time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, this movie has two editors uh, one of them is named Todd Fuhrman uh, who didn't have many many credits I could plumb through but we do have Terry Stokes who guess what also worked on A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 uh, as well as Critters 3 and 4 and the Brady Bunch in the White House back to haunt us yet again oh, we'll love to find out how the editing is in that movie yeah um, and then we've got uh Mark Irwin on cinematography, who we've talked about before, and is that dude. Absolutely that dude. File him under T for that dude. Um, Fright Night Part 2. Scream. Robocop 2. Santa Paws 2. Ace Ventura Jr. (laughs) Ten Things I Hate About You. Freddy Got Fingered. Dumb and Dumber. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And The Fly 1 dude gets around dang yeah some hits some misses Ace some Ventura mids. Jr. <laughs> hit hit maybe we'll have to find out someday <laughs> oh gosh I bet we will <laughs> didn't we threaten to do that once and decided against it it's in possible. and around Ace Ventura two times right I think it's on the list somewhere so and we've got we gotta uh, be careful though, Corey we, mm-hmm. and Mitch. We gotta be careful putting these movies off that we don't want to do because all We're that get does a really is, bad stretch. It just makes them more likely to be the last thing we ever do on the podcast. We're going to be 90, and we're going to be like, there's nothing left except Ace Ventura Jr., and then we're done. Very true. It's a slippery, slippery slope. <laughs> this, it's only going to get worse with age, or... Well, I, I don't know. I don't know that for sure, but I feel like it could happen. Yeah. We can't rule it out. But we've got Michael Honig on music this time around. He didn't have too many things to add to our list, but there's some cool stuff in there, and in particular, I think some stuff Mitch is going to be excited about. Um, Yay! The Max Headroom Show, which isn't necessarily the most Mitch thing in the world, but uh, what about Baldur's Gate? (laughs) Um, Fuck yes. You must gather your party before venturing forth. He's done a ton of Baldur's Gate stuff. Okay, Michael, I've, on the, I've on played the music. like hundreds of hours in, I mean, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and Icewind Dale, yep. the classics. Yep. Was and, he there for uh, Icewind Dale too? 
Was that him? I hold that thought because I just wrote several Baldur's Gate related things because I was trying to save myself some space. So, you know, I'm going to keep you in suspense just a little while longer. Uh, <laughs> listeners, look at your phones. Uh, you can uh, type one for yes and two for no. Do you think he also did Icewind Dale? Uh, Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate, Tales of the Sword Coast, Baldur's Gate 2, Shadows of Omn, Baldur's Gate 2, Throne of Ball. No ice. It's too bad. A lot of suspense, a little payoff. Classic. Um, What have I told you? He also had a credit on Koyana Skatsi. <laughs> That's pretty fucking dope. The, that movie has cool. like, incredible music. Yeah, so obviously he's not Philip Glass. Glass for the, I think the most part. Yeah, composer, additional music slash musical director. I've added two things we don't normally address in this part of the episode because I couldn't help it. Uh, the casting in this movie was done by Joanna Ray, and I recognized that name when Liam and I watched this movie, and I was like, "Why? Why do I recognize that name?" So I I tried to internalize it so I could check later, and I remember why. This person's name has come up multiple times in movies where we have thought the casting was especially good. So uh, not only has she worked on a bunch of David Lynch stuff that we haven't really talked about on the show because it's not like we're out here like watching Twin Peaks all the time. You know what I mean? But um, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie she did the casting for and Funny Games, the English one, she did the casting for. Okay. Great great cast in that movie. Yeah. And obviously also this movie, but um she is just like really bad in a thousand. If you're looking for some of the the David Lynch credits, Twin Peaks, uh season three when it came back at the very least, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire. Nope, early Twin Peaks as well, so all of it basically. Um Lost Highway. Yeah, man. She gets around. Firewalk with me, so we did that in the show. It's cool stuff. And the VFX company on this movie, if I have my note correctly, because I took it when the movie was on, is called Dream Quest. Is that right, Liam? Do you remember? Yeah, it was Dream Quest. Uh, they also did the effects for the other movie we watched in our double feature. What do you know? Right. Yeah. All yeah. the more evidence. I saw their name in the credits and I of the comment and I was like, that's a cool name. And then the movie ended and um, you, what do you know? They're back in pog form. Crazy stuff. They're back in blob form. Um, let me run through this cast and crew stuff really fast because that, that, uh, or cast stuff. Our lead here is Kevin Dillon. That's uh discount Ethan Hawk to you. Nice. Uh, wouldn't it be discount his brother? I, th- I mean, I think Kevin Dillon was uh, was holding his own back then. I mean, maybe With Matt like Dillon. The, yeah, like some people might say that Matt was a discount Kevin for a while there. I think. Yeah, although now that Mitch has made the Ethan Hawke joke, it really is right there. It is. Yeah, like look at that Wikipedia picture, everyone. The Wikipedia picture looks like Ethan Hawke by way of Chris Pratt. <laughs> Anyway, he doesn't look anything like that in this movie. In this movie, he's got a giant mullet and a cool leather jacket. Um, And he was also in Platoon and the TV show Entourage and also a movie about the doors. Um, Shawnee Smith plays Meg. 
she is a fixture in the Saw franchise, which we have not gotten to yet. She plays Amanda in a boatload of Saw movies. Yeah, and is also on one character. episode of Kim Possible, and was in The Grudge Three. Dude, I didn't know there was a Grudge Three. I don't think. Wow, we'll have to get to it on the show. The list keeps growing. Yeah, whenever we actually get, they made another one and get surprised, then it, it kind of has to, it earns the right to to move up a few spots of priority. Yeah. Donovan Leach plays Paul for the little that he's in the movie. Um, He's in the hit film Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, the origin story <laughs> of the Electric Boogaloo joke that everybody makes. Dude, we owe our whole podcast to this man. We really do. He's in a lot of TV and a variety of sequels. So Donovan's really kind of like foundational stuff here. Um, we've got Jeffrey DeMunn playing the sheriff. He's in a bunch of uh, Frank Darabont stuff. He's in The Green Mist. No, The Green Mile and The Mist. Films. <laughs> the Green <laughs> Mist. It's, it's a terrifying movie. It's another great The movie. <laughs> He's in The Shawshank Redemption. Actually, all the credits I have for him start with The. The Hitcher, The Shawshank Redemption, The Mist, The Green Mile. He knows how to pick them. Those are others are honestly all great movies. He really does know how to pick them. <laughs> uh, Candy Clark, uh, another actor we've talked about before, playing Fran. Uh, she is Buffy's mom in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, uh, and is also in American Graffiti and more American Graffiti, which is on our list. Uh, and also the Man Who Fell to Earth and Zodiac. Uh, we've got Joe Seneca playing Doctor Meadows. He's like the the chief government man. Uh, he's in In the Heat of the Night and Malcolm X and Friday the 13th, the series, mm. which I know we've probably talked about, but felt like a surprise to me all over again that that exists. Yeah, maybe at some point we've got to watch like three episodes of that. and do We've got to do that and we've got to do the Freddy's, uh, Freddy's, Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, that would be yeah. fun. We've got, oh, he's also in the music video for the song The Way You Make Me Feel by Michael Jackson. <laughs> Great music video. It's no uh, You Dropped a Bomb on Me by The Gap Band. Few things a- are. Another good the name. The Gap Band. It, it, it's true. If they were just Gap Band, not as good. Wait, are they just Gap Band? Hang on. Are we really like putting egg no, on our own no, faces no, no. here? The, they're the Gap Band. Are we sure? I, I would I would bet my mother's life. Mom lives. <laughs> the Gap Band. I know she does. Though I will say their album cover for gap band four does just say gap band four so who who's really right yeah some bands go back and forth like smashing pumpkins on some of their albums it says the smashing pumpkins and some it's just smashing pumpkins they can't make up their own damn smashing pumpkins is something if it's there's a the you categorize it under s yes yeah for sure um del close is reverend meeker um, he is in the 1970s sequel to The Blob that we're not covering called Beware the Blob. And he's a blob is also, veteran. He's also in Thief. He's the English teacher in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's in American Graffiti, and he has an uncredited role in A League of Their Own. Good for him. Yeah, dude got around. Then we've got Sharon Spellman, uh, who I didn't see that many things... Uh, I wanted to point out for this for then we've got Bo Billingsley uh, playing Moss Woodley. He's in Halloween H2O. 
Now it's age 20 to you. To me, is it? I don't know which one is the right one anymore. We talk about it a lot. It's up to you which one's the right one. I mean, some people will say one way, some people will say the other way. Corey, What's what do yours? You, think? Uh, you go first. I asked first. Uh, no, uh, but I'm not going to guide you down this hallway. <laughs> you got to find I, your own light. H20 is the funny way to say it, but H, uh, but like H2O is a different funny way to say it. H20 just doesn't make any It's just weird. Why would it be Halloween H20? Sure, but even Halloween Horrible. H2O, I mean, what does the H mean there? Even if Hydrogen. you're doing H2O. Oh, so it's straight up. It's, it's just the formula for water. <laughs> yeah, water like plays a role even implied. in Halloween no. water. <laughs> Halloween so what is water. it, Corey? Put your foot down. What do you What do you think it is? I mean, I said H2O. That's what okay. my body auto-responded with. I think it's H2O as well. Okay. Uh, well, now that that's solved, was it Cakey that said H20? Cakey thinks it's H20. Right. I don't, Cakey, I, I, Neil, take it up with the we authorities. We had this discussion with Neil. I'd imagine Neil is on our side for that one. Yeah, probably. I would imagine. Um, Neil, send a voicemail. So, uh, Bo Billingsley is also in a whole fucking boatload of uh, video games and anime and TV shows. Um, including but not limited to uh, Cowboy Bebop the movie um, Mobile Suit Gundam 0080 Born in the Pocket and he plays Barrett in Final Fantasy 7 Advent Children which is pretty cool you guys don't seem to care though so I'm going to keep going uh, Art LaFleur plays the pharmacist that Mitch quoted at the beginning um, he's also in Ace Ventura Jr. Um, and we've seen Dude. him before in the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause, yeah. which would be categorized under S. IMO. Yep. Uh, he's also in the Sandlot. He has Babe Ruth. Field of Dreams. And maybe he uh, plays Babe Ruth in that too. I don't know. The Stallone movie Cobra, which is directed by the dad of the guy that made Mandy. Another example of... Uh careful thought put into whether or not to include a the if it was the cobra less interesting movie the cobra sucks but he's just he is cobra you know he is the santa claus three the escape clause i am the ocean master <laughs> you will never be ocean master <laughs> we've had this discussion uh ricky paul goldeen or maybe Ricky Paul Golden. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure, but it's cool either way. Uh, he plays a dude named Scott. Frankly, don't remember who that is. Uh, but he's on a bunch of soap operas, including uh, The Young and the Restless, which needs a the. All My Children, which doesn't need a the. Guiding Light, which you could take or leave. And The Bold and the Beautiful, which you could take or leave. We line up on all these the things, Corey. I'm very glad about this. Yeah. Uh, and then we've also got Paul McCrane, Michael Kenworthy, Douglas Emerson, Robert Axelrod, Bill Mosley, Erica Aleniak, Jack Raider, and Jack Nance. That was a whole boatload of preamble, fellas, so I'm going to cut right to the chase. Mitch, I, w I watched the movie with Liam, so I don't have a lot of suspense for that particular uh, part. But, but I think, I Corey... I yeah. think the audience has suspense, though. And I think, knowing the way you feel, 
I think you should lead it off. That's what I think. You think I should? Yeah, yeah. I think people well, people might be listening. They're only going to listen to one opinion. They got places to be. I think your opinion should be the one they hear. <laughs> okay. I've never been put on the spot like this. I didn't know Fuck you guys you. could do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know this was allowed. I've got problems with authority figures. That's why I make myself the authority figure. I didn't realize this was going to turn He's on me. I can dish it out, but he can't take it. No, dude, I'm fragile. <laughs> you must be Italian. <laughs> yeah, that's a just like pieces of exactly what you think I am, which is Italian. Um. Anyway, I think this is one of the best movies we've ever watched. <laughs> Period. In our really? lives. For the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. It's like easy. I'm going to pull a number out of my ass a little bit. It's like top eight, probably. I'll keep that in mind for our yearly wrap up. Yeah, Yeah. no, like (laughs) it's going to be. You said, and I don't mean to undercut you immediately, but you said after watching it, it might be it might be the one. It might be top one. Right. But then I remember that we've watched over 100 movies and I wanted to give myself some space to be a little bit off. Okay, I that just want reasonable, but no, to be clear, to know, Liam's, though, Liam is right. Yeah. We finished watching this movie, and I said that might be the best thing we have watched on this show, period. And I stand by that. This movie's fucking awesome. Very nice. Go on. What do you like about it? Oh, uh, all of it, all of it. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, I mean, you know, it is worth conceding that we were off a night of the comet viewing that didn't quite reach the highs that I was hoping it was going to. So maybe I was just open to being wowed. But in terms of like where my expectations were relative to what I got in the viewing experience, I don't know if there's ever been a greater jump from my expectations positively to what we got. Um, I think that this movie strikes a really, really pristine kind of tonal balance between you know, earnestly being its own thing and recognizing that it's a remake of a 50s movie and having like the requisite levels of self-awareness and camp to kind of drive that home. There's like a humor and an awareness to it. But um, this movie looks spectacular. Uh, The effects are like some of the best, again, broken record, but that we've seen on this show ever. The blob is absolutely disgusting. It's gross to look at. People are getting absolutely... They face melt a child in the blob. It's fucking crazy. Um, It's got some really cool lighting stuff going on, especially outside. Looks crisp as hell on the Blu-ray version. Um, I think the casting's really good. I really like all these actors. Um, It's paced perfectly. Um, It doesn't feel like it needs to spend 45 minutes setting up what the blob is. It gets to the good stuff of people being chased by a big fucked up blob and sucked into pipes and shit. I don't know, man. It all looks great. It's all really well executed. It's creative. It looks good. It was an absolute joy. That's That's a glowing review. We need Mitch now. That's what we need. I'm curating this episode. Now, Mitch. Now, Mitch. Now, Mitch. Hold the phone. Now Mitch, now, now Mitch, hold on. Now, da, 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 da. now, what I need the listener to know is that I saw now. you at work the other day, and you you told me that you were worried that this might be instead of the blob, as you said earlier, the blah. <laughs> which, <laughs> How much mileage have you got out of this joke, Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> which did imply to me that you didn't really know where 
I, your expectations didn't seem through the roof, but I wasn't convinced that you were maybe this was going to be for you. I just want the listener to know that. I'm going to lay down the law. Is it the blah or the blob? B. Well, no, I agree with a lot of the things that you say. I think it is. Um, I saw a high definition thing. It looked it looked gorgeous. I love the fashion. I love. Did you say I love the fashion? I love the yeah. It's it's a that's really an like, awesome. No, but that, I agree. But that's an awesome thing to take away from this movie. Is like yeah. it looks great. I think it like it, it looks great. Um, I think in a lot of ways it's empty in 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 ways that I think most disaster movies are. Um, and it's it has these procedural elements that are left over. I think from the original because the original it feels almost like a police procedural, but also um, the same sort of trappings that every disaster movie has. And uh, on that point, I think I find I find it like a a bit. Um, try it but in every other way like i think in terms of like effects and just like how awesome some awesome some of the kills are um yeah i think it's a really like fun movie i just think like the the characters are um they're kind of like like vegetables floating around in an aspic you know it's um there's not a whole lot to them um uh, he rides a motorcycle. Actually, how dare you? But good movie. It's a, it's a yes from me. I don't know if it's like one of the best we've seen, but I had a fun time with it. And um, there's there's a lot about it that's like it's got a good sense of humor too, which I think is important. It doesn't take itself too seriously. I hate to tell you this, Mitch, but uh, next time Corey sees you, he's gonna kick your ass. And I know this because after <laughs> we tomorrow. watched the movie, clock's ticking, motherfucker. <laughs> after we watched the movie, Corey said, "If Mitch doesn't like this, if I Mitch do like it. He said, he said, he said, he said this. He said, if Mitch doesn't love this movie, there's going to be hell to pay.'" And I said, "Corey, well, what if, what if he?" And I th- well, I, actually, I think he said, "If Mitch like doesn't like this movie, if Mitch doesn't like this movie, there's going to be hell to pay." And I said, "Well, what if he doesn't love it like you do, but he he's like." Yeah, that was good. That was a that was a good movie. And Corey looked me dead in the eyes and he said, "That's not enough." <laughs> so, Corey, how are you feeling right now? I'm uh I'm going to I'm going to have to think about it. Well, we, we can get more into like what I liked and what I didn't like as we keep discussing. <laughs> it genuinely sounds like you're trying to like panic to defend yourself. Hey, Corey, hey, ho. No, I can explain. <laughs> it's it's that um it's that gif of Andre the Giant just like looking absolutely terrified with people coming at him from like both sides. <laughs> no, um I don't I don't think that like anything of what I said there was that like um I'll crazy. be the judge of that. Like the, the limitations of like the kind of movie that this is. Um, what blob based? <laughs> yeah. No, no, like, <laughs> like uh like not like blob based, but I mean like coming like based off of like the original movie, but also like just like existing within like um sort of like retro sci-fi horror disaster. Like it like all those sort of genres kind of blending together. It's like and like the tropes of those genres at, at like work and working together like um it kind of like goes into some corners because like it has to and i think uh there are there are parts about that that i find kind of dull 
Like, I, I think, like, uh, for example, like the army team that's like when they kind of come in and there's like a lot of um, interludes with them, I'm, I, I kind of like that stuff wasn't holding me. What was was like the blob fucking like surrounding a woman in a phone booth or like, um, uh, like some of like the smaller characters that you that kind of like you meet that encounter the blob and then die or like the preacher who 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 uh, stows away. Yeah, it's a it's a fun story, and I know I actually also really like the ending of this movie, and I feel like for the time it might not have been seen as a great ending, but I vibe with it a lot. We can get to that later, but yeah. Well, it gave them a chance to wait twenty years and then remake the sequel. Hmm. Liam, you've kept us on pins and needles. Hey, everybody, shut the fuck up! I'm asking Liam a question. Liam, sorry, I had to quiet down yeah. the rock crowd outside. They're, they're going crazy for this blob thing. Can you believe it? Anyway, Liam, I got to know what you thought about this picture. <laughs> I love this picture, my friend. Hell Absolutely yeah. love this picture. Um, if When I saw it that first time five years ago, I really liked it. And in my estimation in the last five years, I think I've liked it more because I've been like thinking of the effects that I remember and thinking about some of the characters I could sort of picture and the fact that like a bun- I don't hear this movie talked about all that much and so that kind of makes me like it more because I feel close to it um, and that being said after revisiting it I, I for sure like it even more than I even did that first time um, so it's a, it's a reverse Night of the Comet situation I totally echo what you guys say where the effects and the kills are just so much fun to watch like all throughout the movie, they just keep finding creative things for the blob to do to kill someone. Yeah. And they and find we were, like hooting and hollering about it. It plays so well in a crowd. Yeah. Even a crowd yeah. of two. Even a crowd of two. And they f- also find um, ways to make that the kills that the blob does look interesting every time. You know, you could have the blob. They're all interesting. Uh, come at it from a different angle and still like if you cut away um it might not be that interesting but this movie doesn't cut away and every kill looks different uh looks really incredible like this movie i think um could have been a lot campier and it does have that sense of humor that mitch mentioned um which is really charming but in terms of the deaths and the stakes here of this blob eating people, I think this movie plays it dead straight. And I think it is absolutely horrifying. Like the effects in this movie, even though they're outlandish and unlike anything you've seen before, it it communicates that great horror movie feeling that I love where I'm watching it and I'm thinking, if this were to actually happen, that is exactly what it would look like. And that often scares me more than anything. Um, so when you see this sci-fi, gelatinous, otherworldly, but perhaps not otherworldly, blob eating people, you know, of course, none of us have ever, ever seen that happen um, in real life. But watching it depicted here, I'm like, yep, uh, that's what a blob would look like if it was made by man uh, to do a certain thing and became corrupted yeah. and that is the way that someone a human's body would react to being 
destroyed from the inside out because of it. So I think the movie really plays as a horror picture um, and is just like totally gangbusters. Um, And then to Mitch's point where maybe the characters feel kind of slight um, or... uh, clinical you know like with the with the with the scientists where you said that that sort of drags a bit um i think that the first time through maybe i felt that way uh i don't remember for sure but i know that i i remembered the movie as being a a, a special effects extravaganza and even after that first time i was yeah. like that might be the best my favorite practical effects in a movie ever is in that movie. i think so but, too it's up there it's up there for sure, but I didn't think of the characters all that much. And now upon revisiting it, I think that the characters here take it right to the next level for me. I think it does just the right amount of character building and character inferencing because it doesn't spend a whole lot of time with them. This is an ensemble movie where you've got side characters. It's it's a small town vibe. So you've got like a waitress who works at a diner. You've got some teenagers at Makeout Point. These are all characters that you can't spend a whole lot of time with. You know, you're not going to learn how they got to this position and, and what they're goals and uh, fears are. But um, I think in the way they're acted, and in a lot of times, like the way they're dressed, like your point about fashion is honestly really true. I think that this just feels like a lived in town to me. Um, and even our main characters, like a lot of times they're just rubbing, running from a blob. Um, that's Kevin Dillon and Shawnee Smith's characters. But there are a few moments where they have little conversations. Like there's one uh, that Meg and Brian have in a diner when Brian is just scarfing down a sandwich. Oh, and, and, and she tells him that he's just like everybody else, um, that he he plays it all cool. Um, but he... he uh, doesn't actually you know stand behind what he believes and it it reminded me of the breakfast club where these teen characters like are actually getting to the to the heart of it and um relating to each other in a moment breaking walls down and i think we see that time and time again i think the the main character brian he does look like a stephen king bully uh which has a whole lot of charm to it especially knowing that frank darabont went on to do a bunch of stephen king adaptations so i gotta imagine he's a guy who loves stephen king books he looks like a bully on the surface but then all throughout the movie you learn about this character um not in any scenes of exposition but just in little things he does like when he gets in trouble with the police and so he he licks a police officer's face to like just kind of <laughs> creep him out um but he also uh there's a, a scene at the beginning of the movie where he just decides to try to jump a bridge on his motorbike and he fails <laughs> and and there's no one else around he's just doing this for himself so he's a loner but he's charismatic and he's a risk taker and he knows how to stand up for himself. But he also cares about other people as the blob attacks. He's yeah. protecting children. He's doing his best to help Meg. He's not just getting the heck out of there. He and cares I, about other people despite wanting to give the impression that he kind of doesn't. Yes. You know, like he when they have to bring the old man to the hospital, he wants to get the fuck out of there, largely because I think there's the risk of him getting, you know, blamed for something that wasn't his fault. But at the same time, like his immediate sort of return to like actually 
I want to see through this. Clearly, there's something more going on here. It does speak to like a baseline, just like care that he does have. Um, that I think you know the movie like sets him up really well to make the usurping of the trope really believable, which is nice. Yeah, I think that this movie feels very novelistic. It mm-hmm. feels Stephen King esque. Um, I can it watching does. this. I can picture it being a, a five hundred page or more novel. And Stephen King has written books like this because he's a kid well, of he, the fifties. He grew up on this stuff. Go ahead, Mitch. I'm trying to think. He's got this one short story. It's in. Uh... Uh, the late shift and it's about like i think it's the late shift maybe it could be nightmares and dreamscapes but it's uh essentially um about like this kid and like his dad like locks himself in his room and like he just like leaves food for him and then he eventually finds out that his dad's like turned into like this big like blob and like destroys the town i don't know which one it is but it's a great short story yeah, and stuff like that, just you can tell that this dude like grew up on just classic monster movies and um some stories and like urban legends that aren't actually all that unique. Um but he just knows how to make it interesting enough through the characters that he creates and the way that he depicts action happening you know the way he describes scenes of violence um and his stories just all have heart to them and i think that this movie has a whole lot of heart to it and heart to the characters like i would love to read a stephen king novelization of the blob and and in a lot of ways i feel like i have you know his books like um under the dome uh which is a a sci-fi band of just about a small town and and how these people are interacting with this otherworldly threat um and you just learn about these characters and i think this movie does about as good of a job as it could do within its running time and also knowing that it has to give the most amount of screen time to this destructive blob i think that the movie still feels like it has weight to it in regards to the characters and the writing. And I think that might best be exemplified with the twist of um, having this not be a alien blob that just came from outer space and landed on earth instead we learned that this has been created by the government um, as a war weapon to russia and they've messed up and it's landed back on earth and i i just think that is such a a clever cool twist um hilarious that they didn't know how to get rid of it so they sent it to space and it didn't work somehow yeah um i think it's a clever play on on the 50s version um and again i haven't seen the 50s version but i was pretty certain that it was just a an otherworldly thing which tracks for the 50s and this tracks for the 80s this makes a whole lot of sense and i think it is uh really cool i think it's cool the way that that twist unfolds i'm curious how you feel about that mitch about that little twist to the 50s version that you know Honestly, I don't I don't really remember it. Well, what do you think about the way that this movie handles um the blob being man-made? Oh, um I think it's good. I think it's definitely like reflective of the era and like the cynicism of the times. Um Yeah, I think it's I think it's like a it's like a fun little like added layer of like oh no, it's like it was done by them, like of course, and you have like a an enemy of sorts. It's good. Yeah. 
Well, and it's hard not to see like the the arms race irony in. So this is bad. Yeah. It, but we want to keep it still. <laughs> How do we keep it? We'll just let it eat this whole town, and then we'll keep it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They want to. They want to kill Trust the humans, me. right? Like it. It creates this really. Are you telling me the tension. U.S. military is the bad guys? Which is honestly cool, really cool, because in the '80s, as much as there were um, movies that were, you know, critical of the government, there were a whole lot of movies that were just pro-America. And so, having this movie come along, and it kind of looks like. Uh, they they might be leaning towards that way because you get these men in hazmat suits showing up and they are cooperative with the our main characters at first which I thought was really cool they run in to uh, our main characters and they kind of have a nice chat and they say that we're taking care of things um, and that threw me off because I'm used to um, characters running into authority figures in movies like this they explain their case and the the um the authority figures like are are not believing them and it just becomes this this tension of like uh they children aren't believed um or it'll be like cabin fever 2 this is really what i wanted to get at it'll be like cabin fever 2 where the (laughs) the team in the hazmat suits they want to like study the humans and uh study the blob and they're pushing back at them in that way but instead the hazmat team and the kids get along at first um and it seems like everything is okay and then you gradually learn that, oh, no, this is more sinister, but it, it was just holding a card to its chest the whole time. And the the hazmat team um, wants to keep the blob intact because it is their creation and they, they want to use it. They know that they've messed up and their solution to that is to kill um, or at least not care for the human lives in this town and that's something that you know still rings really true to me uh we kind of see this stuff in the news nowadays uh just this um disregard for human life in order to maintain the clean image of these higher ups you know they don't want to admit that they've messed up and so they just they are going to push back against the the humans instead and so i just think it is is a really good bit of storytelling yeah and i think it fits too just within like the wider you know i'm going to say sense of humor because it's it's not that it thinks that part is funny but it does lace some of it with a bit of humor but even beyond that um i think that awareness of like hey it's not that surprising to see that the u.s government or military or whatever is actually the bad guys kind of goes along with the joke that they make in the hospital when uh the guy has the blob on his arm and they're like hey man ah, there's something happening we don't know uh, something's bad and they're just like does he have insurance <laughs> like how do you want us to approach like helping this guy if he doesn't have insurance like and it, it's kind of maybe it's a tired joke to some now but just like Again, it's that like institutional disregard for human life in the face of something that's clearly obviously bigger than that and very bad. Like this being like, sure, okay, the guy's got the blob on his hand, but like, does he have blue cross or what? Like, and it's like, dude, you're missing the fucking point. Like Yeah, good point. I really like that as well. 
And uh, I also just like how Vuna just talking about like what they're doing with characters, how in a relatively tight runtime, they still find the time to like, you know, just build up this town a little bit as the arrival of the blob is sort of happening in kind. Like when you have the sheriff and the woman who works in the diner, just sort of like casually like flirting with like business cards and receipts. And like, if they can see each other later and like just planting some seeds of some basic, like small town charms. And, um, you've got the football game and you've got like all of these sort of tent poles. And then I, I just think it, it does a good job meshing that, that process with the, um, what comes later and how heightened everything gets really quickly. I think that all works well together. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it, it all pays off as well. Um, like with uh, Fran, who is the waitress at this diner, and she's she's kind of getting flirty with the with the sheriff. And later on, when the when uh, some blobby stuff starts going on, she runs into a phone booth and she's frantically trying to dial the sheriff with the number that he gave to her earlier. And uh, the phone isn't working, and the blob is starting to envelop the phone booth that she's in and then she spots the sheriff floating dead inside the blob dead and like kind of decomposed inside the blob and that's one of the few deaths we have that is off screen that is not relished in the goopiness of of how the death happened um but it's very deliberate in that that one is off screen because you're just living in fear with this woman and then all of a sudden uh you have you're presented with like the the gravity of the situation that this the, the dude that you're trying to get to help you the dude who should help you the, the small town sheriff of this place who should be able to take care of things he he's already gone he he didn't even stand a chance is i think it's just really really cool um now seems like as good a time as any to to talk about one thing that liam and i noticed which is that um this movie's got uh spider-man credits and the whole opening feels oh, like a shit. movie that was made in like 2003. I don't mean literal Spider-Man credits. You're I mean right. that shit looks like a fucking like, Sam Raimi like Spider-Man movie. I don't the think it's the same font too, sure. exactly, but it looks like but it. But it looks like and, it should be. It's like this yeah. steely finished font, yeah. And it's got that like it's got like the 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 shadow of color rather than like colored font. Yeah. And then like but that crane shot up to the crowd at the football game right at the beginning feels very 2000s. Like if you just changed the outfits of the crowd, you could tell me this came out like alongside like the Toby Maguire Spider-Man movie and I'd completely believe you. Like yeah, it's it was really something. And uh, on this, by the same token, the last scene of this movie, um, where you've got the the preacher preaching his his blobbiness, um, and I want to hear Mitch talk about this. But the way it looks, I was saying to Corey, what the heck just happened? This looks now like a a movie that came out in the 2010s. Like this looks like an A24 yeah. movie, and I don't it's mean like just no in like. For old men. Yeah, and I don't even mean just like in the framing, um, like it's like literally like in the quality of film and the lighting, it was really strange. Like it, it suddenly felt uh, like very modern in a really, really cool way. Um, maybe it just speaks to how uh, timeless I actually think this movie is. But I thought the ending there just seemed really... Uh, otherworldly did you get that at all mitch with that last scene just the way it looked definitely it's like it's jarring because like 
the movie is otherwise like pretty much set at night. Oh and, yeah, uh, good point. All of a sudden, yeah, which I like. I like movies that are set during one night. Um, but uh, yeah, it's jarring to suddenly be out there in this sort of bright, um, like sun baked landscape. And th- there's there's something about I'm not sure if it's like the stock that they're using, but it's very clear and it looks very modern. And um, I think it's like a good twist ending. Like it's it's a really offbeat ending to just sort of have this uh, pastoral, can't <laughs> uh, okay, maybe pastoral, but this preacher um, character, and he, he he looks absolutely unhinged. His costume there is great, and uh, then it's like, oh yeah, remember what happened when he took this thing? And it, it's, I I completely forgot that he did that, and I just thought it was gonna like blow up in his pocket or something. But yeah, very, very interesting to kind of have it like in, infused with uh, religious myth as well. And um, I think it, it says so much like it, it's, it's like an interesting sort of uh, development in like the lore that's existing already is to sort of infuse it with that. Um, yeah, it's a great ending, I think. But offbeat, and I don't think it would have been like a super like thirst quenching ending for audiences in the eighties, or I'm not sure. Like it's it doesn't feel like a a conventional sort of ending that a movie from those uh, days would have had. Maybe but, yeah. word of the ending got around because the movie did only make eight point two million dollars. Well, really? When the yeah, on that, a budget of ten million, it made eight point two. That's it. It is a very expensive looking movie. That sucks. Um, when the movie ended, though, Corey, when this when the credits started, you were going, "That's it? What? That's all?" Yeah, so I, what, I what was, did you think was, of the ending? I was just ready for more. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I actually have a problem with the ending, or I just wanted more movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, because the runtime is fairly I, I was short. Happy with the length. I wouldn't want it more of it. It's good. I, I was just like, I could have just turned it on again and just watched it again. Like, that's how I felt about it when it ended. You liked um, it that much. Yeah, man. I'm all about the blob. I uh, I really <laughs> like the ending, too. I think the, the way it's shot adds to the creepiness of that final scene. Like, it sort of feels like... Um, it's, real, it's real close on them. It's real fucking sweaty. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, it's like... like and it just, it feels like an epilogue like it feels it is an epilogue but it it feels like it's separate from the rest of the movie Mitch's point about the rest of the movie being at night and this being in like extreme daylight but it's also like they're under this tent thing but sunlight is still just soaking through um it it feels like when you're like reading a an old 50s like horror comic book and it ends and then you go to another location briefly for the stinger and this feels like such a good stinger right it turns out that the preacher has uh, collected a little piece of the blob and he's been keeping it in a jar um and and now he's preaching to people that eventually doomsday will be upon us again and so it's like a it's a he's sequel gonna do some tease, shit with that blob but it's also i don't feel robbed um you know what actually can i, can I make an argument mm. i don't think it's a sequel tease i and not just because it didn't make money but i honestly wonder like how do you do it without just making the blob again and i i seriously think that 
we're so used to movies getting like 80 sequels now that we're liable to assume it was a sequel tease when maybe it was just like an enigmatic ending for the movie. Well, there were already like two other blob properties at least before this movie. So I feel like it's not unrealistic to think that, oh, like maybe they were setting up another one. I'm not saying there was like a 0% chance, but like. Yeah, leaving that door open is a possibility, I think. But um, yeah, super great ending. Just consider in your mind's eye that it could just be an enigmatic ending. I think it could go either way. Yeah, I think it works as both. I mean, to your point, Corey, you said you could have just turned this on and watched the movie again. And so, who's to say that after they finished it, they were they could have been like, "You that movie is that's a sick movie." We should be able. People are gonna love this. People are gonna want another one. If we want to do another one, two billion dollars. And so, you know, we'll set this up, and maybe we'll get to do another one because people are gonna want another one. And unfortunately, there weren't enough Corys out there, but uh, there should have been because I would happily watch another one of these as well. Um, do you want uh, a bar in the trunk of your car, <laughs> like in the a hit film? A bar the bar in the trunk of your car, like the blob. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I know. I feel like that encourages drinking and driving. And it had like like a shag carpet, and it was like a pimp my ride ass trunk, and a bunch that that of guy rings. Had. And a bunch of yeah. Rings. What a creep that guy is. He, his death is pretty fucking sick. Yeah, amazing. That's like a. It's just a. That's an example of like being um, uh, conservative in your storytelling, um, and just making it all pay off. Like you set up that this. These teens are at makeout point together, which is classic. That they're at makeout the, the tree in the woods where everything happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she's drunk. She's she's kind of falling asleep. She doesn't want to do anything. He still wants to do stuff, and so you're like, "Fuck this dude!" And um, you know the blob is is coming for him, and the blob gets him in a way you wouldn't expect. Where it turns out the blob has already been feasting on this girl that seems like she's sleeping that he's trying to uh, her he's trying to assault well he's he is assaulting her and uh, then she like bursts or deflates or I don't even know how to her describe face, it like caves in oh from, my from the inside it's like a vacuum was on the inside of her face and it got turned on. It's fucking yeah. crazy. Incredible. And then he gets blobbed. And so it is just, it's a perfect little like horror short film in the middle of this movie. I love it. And also, uh, that's what happens if you assault people in your car or anywhere. So don't do that. Um, yeah. Shame she had to go too, but the blob shows no mercy. And the blob I also is, respect that. Uh, yeah. Very, you know, open opportunity uh, kind of thing. On top of the vacuum face getting sucked in uh, like some kind of real nightmare, there are so many cool visual effects in this movie. Not all of them are the blob related, though. Yanked into the ceiling. The ceiling really? I, I want to talk theater? about the one that is not directly blob related, which is when the boys are in the movie and they're trying to get that guy to shut up. But before we get to the fact that it's a movie, um, the scene starts with just like people fooling around and then establishes that there's like a Jason Voorhees type guy there and then like just zooms out to reveal that we're in a movie theater and it's like that's my shit man that's fucking awesome yeah that 
the whole theater sequence that ends up happening where the blob attacks the theater might be my favorite sequence in the movie. Um, there's a lot of really clever stuff happening uh, with like what Corey just said, um, where you think you're in a, the, the blob movie and then it turns out they're watching a movie. But also there's this really cool shot where you see from the movie screen's perspective looking out at the crowd as the yeah. blob is attacking from the far wall. And so it plays into that idea that you're you're watching a movie. You're kind of seeing from uh, like watching this this crowd get attacked as if it were a movie, but it's the opposite direction that you normally watch movies in. And then there's this wicked strobe light happening that makes the whole thing feel very dramatic and frantic. But Corey pointed out as we were watching it that it also. Um, does a good job at masking any of the stop motion effects that they were using for the blob. And so it's just, it's really cool shorthand that is uh, practical in the way that it's getting the filmmaking across. This is something they might have needed to do to make the effect work. Yeah. And the, but, but it actually makes the effect creepy. So good. Yeah, like it's, it's it's even if even if they had stop motion techniques where it could have just looked great without the strobe light, you don't need to hide anything. I think the strobe light actually makes the scene scarier. Yeah, a hundred percent, and it looks just exceptionally cool. It's just one of those things where it's just like anytime you do anything like that, um, it's just unimpeachable. It just looks great every time. But, like, every moment, this, like, the arrival of the meteorite with the blob and it looks great. They have a big, like, pyro explosion when it hits the ground. And, and then, like... With the stick? Yeah. And, like, but, like, then the practical effect of, like, the blob itself in that, like, meteor that looks like a walnut. <laughs> like, um, just looks super great. And then, like, um, Paul getting sucked into the blob in the hospital the half body left over the old man like oh man the when they go um and when they're having the conversation where brian and meg are talking and as liam was talking about meg is trying to explain like hey man there's a big fucked up blob and he's like you sound like you're on drugs and you know she's just frustrated with people not taking her seriously which is you know something that you get a lot but then when they have to go to the back and the guy is like just reaching his arm into the sink and gets like fully pulled into it. And it's like his head goes through like the drain of the sink and it like crushes him up. Like it's, Oh man, it's, it's fucking awesome. It's just fucking crazy. Oh, and it yeah. looks so good. Did you have a favorite effect Mitch or like a favorite blob moment? Yeah. I think the bit where uh, the blob falls from the hospital ceiling is pretty great, and it like it kills Pete from Twin Peaks. I don't remember the actress. <laughs> um, yes, but uh, that particular death where they like walk in on him and you see it like like fucking eviscerating his face is so like brutal. I think the phone booth one is particularly effective as well, and like great camp. Um, yeah, there's. I think also just like when the blob starts getting bigger and moving around, and you start seeing like the masses of people inside of it, like almost like um, like I said, like carrots in an aspic or something, like like one of those like gross uh, jelly dishes from the seventies, 
that like has oh, things yeah, inside of it. The vegetables my grandmother and made jello. one of those for me once, and it was like wasn't my favorite. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I so love all those sequences. All those things are great. Yeah, um, but my favorite would probably be the the phone booth kill or or uh, the one before in the hospital. Yeah, those both have such scary moments to them. Like when when you see Paul kind of like gasping for air and reaching out for his friends, but he's also covered by this gelatinous, villainous material. And um, I thought, even on my second watch, I had forgotten that Paul dies early. And the movie positions him. It feels like the main character. Oh, the sink. Oh, the sink is incredible. Oh, my god. The sink is actually probably my favorite kill. Dude, yes, and then the blob shoots out of there. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. it's it's really clever. Um, and I I love that the blob is growing and changing, and maybe even like getting smarter. It's kind it's it's kind of hard to tell, but um, it feels like as the movie goes on, it, the blob never gets tired. Um, like I well I ne- like I never get tired of the blob because the blob is like developing. It's getting bigger. It's killing people in different ways, um, and it's just this really fascinating unraveling. That again, like it feels novelistic because the movie just keeps building and building. It's it's really cool. Yeah, and I also think like um, the. Because, like, all the blob kills look great. Um, th- as I said, they melt the face off of a child with the blob. I can't believe they had it in them to fucking kill a kid with the blob. It's fucking No one crazy. is safe in this movie. Paul, no. you think he's your main character? He's gone. Yeah. One of the, the kids? The impartiality of the blob. Safe? Gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and again, look the, like, at that. The impartiality that... and how it moves and does whatever it wants. Like, oh. or it does, and, like, it's not even clear what it wants. It's, it, it's only, like like drive is to like kill to sustain itself like it's it's kind of scary and just how sort of ambiguous it is and how um singular its motivations are like a like a a a parasite or or any other sort of like virus that just needs to like get bigger to to survive yeah definitely it's like like Corey said it's equal opportunity like that make out point scene you're waiting for the sleazy boyfriend to get got you know he's gonna get got because that's what horror movies do they set up someone who deserves to die and then they kill them and the fact that the blob emerges from the the girl and she dies along with it and the blob comes from where you least expect it it just shows that like no one is safe in this movie the sheriff wasn't safe he didn't have a big hero moment he just showed up inside the blob he just shows up dead as fuck um and the the opposite is also true you think that the preacher dies in the climax you see him on fire you know you think he's done and then your epilogue it turns out he survived though he's badly burned and he is this uh not he's he's an immoral guy and he survived and now he's plotting something and so i think it's just that great push and pull of storytelling of good versus evil and um who you think is good and who you think will survive those things don't always line up and so it's just it's fascinating i think it's really well written yeah and uh, I also really like the uh, the like government sci-fi stuff, like their like tent set where they're trying to do all the the uh, the planning and scheming looks great. Their suits are cool. They're very like alien 
like the movie alien suits with like the lights on the inside of the helmet. Um, they're a rival shot because you've got that big backlight in the woods and it's like whipping wind and there's just like dudes rolling up in suits and then you have like a motorcycle chase and he successfully jumps the bridge and by that point the crowd is just absolutely hooting and hollering and just like man it's just so sick that like we could dwell in a lot of the specifics for a long time but like it's very worth just seeing this stuff um it's all really well done. The effects are all really, really good. At the end, when they find out that the blob doesn't like the cold and he gets the snow making truck and like they oh, kill the yeah. blob and it like turns to crystals. Like, yeah, that's that's great writing. And it's also like great visual storytelling as well. It's just incredible. He owed that guy a favor that he borrowed the sockets from. Brought it back. It's so good. Yeah. And earlier in the movie, um, when you get um, Meg and Brian, they hide in like a freezer and they kind of notice that the blob doesn't like the cold. But then, you know, in the heat of things, this blob is chasing you. They seem to forget and we forget, too. And so then that comes back. And so it's, it's just really, really nice. Yeah. And also just that I would like to say, I know Shawnee Smith. Uh, is that her last name? Why do I feel like I got that wrong? That's right. Johnny Smith um, got her reputation in horror movies later because of Saw, but like she's great here. She's filling this role so well of just like the 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 dedicated but horrified uh, final girl ish person that we've got here trying to get those her brothers out of that theater. Super sick. She's doing great. Um, it's awesome. Just a good ass movie. Just watch the movie. Really. Yeah. Do you got any final thoughts on the blob, Mitch? Nope. Well, one of us has to work in the morning. So <laughs> uh let's uh let's just tell everybody watch the blob. It's good as fuck. And I will ask uh Mitch for his pick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I knew that. See, I knew. What do you got? What have I got? It's your pick for the movie. What have I got? Oh shit! Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to do pick? a better tomorrow. A better tomorrow too by John Woo. Oh fuck! <laughs> Any cool. particular reason for that? Other than uh, it's I'm John Woo. I just like remember. I I I can't remember if I've seen it or not. I'm pretty sure I have because I went through like a big like John Woo and sort of Hong Kong '80s action film kick a while ago. And, um, yeah, I want to like check it out again. So that's what we're doing. Hell fucking yeah, dude. That's going to be sick. Yeah. We've got a good, we've had a good like run of like past couple movies. So yeah. Yeah. Got to keep it going. <laughs> was this, was this already your pick or was this just like a spur of the moment? Fuck it. Let's do this. Uh, spur of the moment. <laughs> It's sort of like I have like a list of like things that I've been thinking of like choosing and that yeah. was one of them and I was But yeah. This is going to be some classic Hong Kong action shit though. Like that's going to be Yeah. I would be very surprised if we're let down by this. Even Liam who's not like peak action man hopefully it still still hits. Yeah, it's we'll a very yeah, a very fun graceful kind of like martial arts uh, acrobatics kind of action. It's also definitely like an editor's medium. Yeah, I'm also reading here that this was the movie that John Woo made before he made The Killer. 
So he was he yeah. was on a on a good track. He was on his in his prime and making sort of action films during this this period. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I love a Better Tomorrow one. I'm pretty sure I saw this one ages ago. But, I think you yeah. you showed me a Better Tomorrow, didn't you? I did. I don't think we finished yeah. it though. No, but I mean, I remember watching it. That's a good sign usually. Yeah. All right. I know you want to get out here. Do anything you want to plug? The Blob. <laughs> that famous line from the hit film The Blob, where he says The Blob. He's actually just calling for his friend Bob, but he has a lot of spit in his mouth. Uh, Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I've got a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. I'm on Twitter and letterboxed as Graham the Mallo. If you want to listen to other podcasts that I make, there's MK PodQuest about all sorts of like Mortal Kombat ephemera. We're going to be talking about some comic books and some episode commentaries, uh, various TV shows and whatnot with our friend Neil. That's MK PodQuest. If you want to hear me talk about Formula One, that is Strat2F1 on Twitter. Strat, like the word strategy. Two, like the number after one. That's in all of your podcast services. I'm at Mr. Corey Price. And thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what you think would make a really cool kill for the blob to do in the sequel that we didn't get to the movie, the blob. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson. Who you can find on Instagram at Jade sketches. And with all that out of the way, we'll see what happens when you need to have a better tomorrow again on them in another one. <laughs>